Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, this morning, we are going to step into a two-week mini-series this week and next, reflecting on the glow of Christmas. How do we respond, having just celebrated together with so much wonderful fanfare and worship and gatherings and food and all of those things? How do we respond to the Christmas miracle in a way that allows it to sustain us? to inspire us beyond just the few days and these weeks that led up to it, but well beyond in the days to come. And so that's what we're going to reflect on these couple weeks. I'm wondering, as you were purchasing gifts around Christmas this year, are you a review checker? You know, do, do you actually go and, and look at the reviews online? How many stars did it get? What were the comments about it? Because you know, really, some reviews can be incredibly helpful before making a purchase. So actually, I'll just share with you a product right here on the, we should have on the screen. So this is a very real product from Amazon. This is the Hutzler Banana Slicer. And here are some of the very real reviews that you might find when you're considering, is this the right product? for you. What can I say about the, 578, the 571B banana slicer that hasn't already been said about the wheel, penicillin, or the iPhone? Someone named N. Crump says, gone are the days of biting off slice-sized chunks of banana and spitting them onto a serving tray. Next on my wish list, a kitchen tool for dividing frozen water into cube-sized chunks. And the last one from Jay Anderson, as shown in the picture, the, slice, the slicer is curved from left to right. All of my bananas are bent the other way. That's just important information to have before you purchase a product. I mean, reviews can be really helpful, and a review with glowing praise may be enough to convince you that that is a product that you should purchase, or maybe one, a service that you should use. And if you have an amazing experience with a product or a service, you may be more inclined to write a review. Or maybe, I guess it could go the other way. If you have a terrible experience, you may be inclined to write a review expressing your frustration and your anger and your disappointment. But if it's positive, you may be glowing with awe and surprise. Maybe you'll be shocked at how incredibly useful a banana slicer could be. Maybe you have gratitude for the service that you were given. And in some ways, you can't help but to share in those moments. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is kind of like this. Out of an amazing experience, the people are expressing what they can't help but to share. They can't help it. They're invited into it, and they can't help but to share praise and worship, awe and wonder. And so that's what we're going to jump into in Psalm 148. And so you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. This is God's word for us today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. 
and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments here, in this time, just that you would speak, that you would fill our hearts, our minds with a greater and greater vision of who you are, that we could respond, that the miracle of Christmas wouldn't just pass, but that we would respond in new, renewed awe and wonder. In Jesus' name, amen. So this psalm breaks up neatly into two sections, but both sections have the same purpose, the same invitation, but they, it's, the d- invitation is directed to two different audiences and really for two different sets of reasons. And so we, we're going to look at that briefly this morning. The purpose, you may have picked it up, was praise the Lord. It's literally one word in Hebrew, hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And it was the first word in the psalm. It was the last word in the psalm. And praise was the theme all throughout. The audiences were heaven and earth, fairly all-encompassing audiences. And so we're going to look at this and and the invitation to each. But what is it to praise? What does that actually mean? I mean, that's a very churchy word for us. It's one that we're familiar with, but what does it mean? Do we pause long enough to really reflect on it? And, And literally, praise is to give honor and admiration to someone, to something. It's something that is deemed worthy. Therefore, we give it honor. Related to it is our English word worship, which you may know comes from an old English word, worth-ship. In other words, ascribing worth to something or someone. And there's lots of things that are worthy, that get our worship, that get our praise, I mean, that we, we give honor and admiration to. Depends kind of on the things that you are moved by. You know, we, we're moved to give honor and worship, worthship to parents and grandparents who admirably serve and love their families over all of the years, appropriately lifting up armed forces and first responders with honor and admiration, artists, musicians, even, even children's pieces of artwork and music that they share with us are worthy of our worship. So we're in the habit of praising and worshiping all sorts of things. And this psalm is recognizing that that's part of our humanity. It's part of what we're wired up to do. And it's telling us not, it doesn't tell us to not honor and not worship and not praise those things and those people, but it does remind us to above all praise the Lord. 
to give him honor and admiration, to ascribe worship, to ascribe worth and value to God above all things. He invites the heavens, commands really the heavens, the angels, the heavenly hosts, which may have been a specific type of angel gathered around the throne. We're not exactly sure, but the heavenly hosts are invited. The sun and the moon and the stars, water in the skies. This is kind of a uh, an ancient cosmology, an understanding of how the earth was then, you know, formed. And, and there were this kind of this understanding that the universe kind of worked like an apartment building. And the higher up you went, the further into the heavens you got. Obviously, that's shifted in our mind. But the point wasn't to describe scientifically the cosmology. It was to acknowledge that no matter where you are in the tiers, whatever floor of the apartment you're in, it's to worship God alone. And so, they worship, or they're invited to. And they're given the reason why. It's described for them in verses 5 and 6. Because at his command, they were created, and he established them forever and ever. In other words, there's this recognition that without God, they wouldn't exist. There would be no stars and moon. There would be no angels. And so there's this recognition that God was the initiator. God was the one who brought them into being. He's the one that they recognized that life came from somewhere. There was something before. There was nothing. And that was God was before all things. And so he's the one that brought life into existence, beauty and order into the cosmos. And he's the one that sustains it, holds it together, and even now sustains all being. He invites the earth. We're, we're invited. The earth is invited to join in this song of praise to God. You know, specifically the great sea creatures, the ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, wind, mountains, hills, trees, animals, big animals, small animals, flying animals, swimming animals, all the animals, and then humanity. Humanity is in, invited to this song of praise, kings and princes. Young and old, women and men, children. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but it is an inclusive list. It's intended to help us realize that the calling, the invitation to praise the Lord is not just for any one particular group. It's not for any of the most elite. It's for all. It's for everyone to along with creation to praise the Lord. So why is the, why is the earth, including humanity, invited to praise according to this psalm? Well, it tells us in verse 13, it's because his name alone is exalted. His name, his character, his reputation. God is really so other than we are, so over and above our ability to comprehend and even imagine that, of course, he's due our worship, our awe, and our wonder. And that he rules his name over all the earth. He's ruling over all of us, but his rule is one of splendor. That's what that word was. In other words, God rules unlike humans rule. He rules with with a perfect generosity and kindness, a perfect justice, magnificence, beauty. I mean, this continues to unpack for us the reasons why God is worthy. But those could just be for, for, you know, inanimate objects. That could be the reasons that rocks would praise God. He specifically zeroes in on humanity through the lens of his people, the chosen tribe of Israel, and says we're invited to praise God because he has uniquely given us a special relationship with 
For Israel, it was special in history to help the world know who he was, what it was like to live in his kingdom. But for all humanity, it was to be uniquely loved by God. Where he lovingly, we're told, raised up a horn for them. That's, a horn is, is a symbol of strength, of glory. In other words, God is raising us up with strength and glory and honor. He's giving us glory and honor among all of creation. I mean, that's a gift. We get to rule. Just as he rules over us, we get to rule over creation. But all of it was for the purpose, we're told, of praising him. I mean, that's, that's the structure, that's the, the format of this psalm, but I don't know about you, I can't help but to see the Christmas story play out in this psalm. I can't help but to hear it rehearsed. You think about what we just read in Luke chapter 2, the heavens were invited to praise the Lord, and here the angels show up singing glory, glory, glory. In other words, God is so magnificent, so amazing, so beyond our comprehension. The weight of his holy and awesome presence is over and above all things. And they could sing and sing and sing about it. That star that the the wise men followed among the starry hosts, doing exactly what they, it was intended to do, to proclaim that something unique and wonderful had happened on earth, joining in the worship of God. On the earth, the shepherds, the shepherds having heard the angels go, and they go off and they find the baby born in the manger just as they were told, and what do they do? They worship him. They're moved in awe and wonder at what God has done in this baby. The wise men, following that star, come and they lay their gifts before an infant. Maybe he was two. But they lay gifts, incredible, valuable gifts before him as an expression of worth, worthship. This baby was worth gold and frankincense and myrrh, was worth the greatest gifts that they could bring, that they could even wrap their heads around. And all of it was to praise the Lord, as Psalm 148 says, recognizing, admiring, giving him honor, ascribing worth to the creator, sustainer, provider, ruler over all the earth. But they saw in this baby, in the manger, the one who ruled over all entering in, coming near to ensure, to ensure for them that his good rule, his awesome presence could be known and shared for all people. The good news of great joy for all people was in him. And so as we reflect on the events of Christmas, I invite you to reflect on them in a slightly different way in these days to come. Reflect on them through the lens of 148 as an invitation to the worship and praise of God. To join in the whole song of all of creation. To ascribe him the worth that he's due but the, thing about the, but the thing about what we worship, the things that we give value to and ascribe worth to, those are the things that kind of give us a unique sense of us, aren't they? I mean, the fact that you give worth to one product over another, maybe somebody else says something about that product. It starts to set us apart from one another. You ascribe value and worth, right, to dessert. Somebody else says, no, 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 it's definitely the main course. These start to give us a unique sense of identity, a unique sense of who we are. The things we worship start to define us, and we start to define ourselves based upon them. And so when you start thinking about worship and think about Christmas, think about it as, 
hey, when I'm worshiping, it's defining me. It's defining my unique identity in light of the thing that I'm worshiping. David Foster Wallace was uh, an author, I mean, one of the most prolific authors uh, in the last 30 years or so. He, he wrote extensively. He wasn't particularly Christian. There's some debate about it, but certainly not explicit, that's for sure. And in 2005, he gave the commencement address at Kenyon College, a small liberal arts school in Ohio. A buddy of mine went to, to Kenyon after we graduated from college. And, and in the commencement address, he, he says this. He says, surprisingly, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will find up, end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are default settings. David Foster Wallace is acknowledging that we all worship Every day, day in and day out, the things that we really ascribe value and worth to, the things that we really admire, the things that we look to that define us, that give us our unique sense of security, identity, and meaning, and just look at our lives and how we live them. That demonstrates our worship. And he, he even gets that all of these things that we often give these places of priority in our worship, in our honor, day in and day out, so many of them are fleeting. They come and they go. And if that's where we've ascribed our most worth and value, we will end up eaten alive, is his phrase. It will consume us because we will never be able to have the place of that foundation of meaning because they will always leave us. And this is, this is seen actually in Psalm 148. It's just hard to see perhaps for us in English. In verse 7, when, when the earth is invited to praise the Lord, and it specifically invites the, the great sea creatures and the ocean depths, this may have been an allusion to one of the neighboring gods of the neighboring tribes of Israel, the god known as Baal, the one who Israel was constantly tempted to give the primacy, the place of prime worth in their life and in their worship over and over again. That was their failure. They abandoned the unique and, and only worship of God and would worship Baal. And so this psalm is saying, hey, give up those other gods, those other things that seem to promise you security, meaning, and worth, and bow your knee only to God alone. Because only the Lord, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who set nature into motion, the one who orders all things, sustains all things, the one who lovingly rules over all things is the one who can truly raise up a horn for you, meaning a place of strength and security that can never be moved. That's what the Christmas story was for, was to make sure that your worth was tied to your worship, that your worth was tied to this unique gift 
of the sustainer of the universe entering into the human experience. That your worth, your meaning, your significance was tied to the one who would ultimately lay his life down for you so that you could be loved by him. That can't ever be taken away from you. You know, it's a gift that's been given. Can you imagine taking back any of the gifts that you've given in the last day? Can you imagine showing up at somebody's door and, you know, I know I gave that to you, but give me, give me that back. It's absurd. And God has given the gift of his own son, and it can't be taken back. Not, not only can it be taken back if he wants to, it's already, he's been given to the point of death. He already died. It happened. It's done in history. And so that was done so that you could be assured that the creator, sustainer, and ruler of the universe will continue to provide for you, protect you, love you, save you from your tendency and my tendency to find our meaning and significance in all of these other things and to bring us back to him like those shepherds, those kings, those others at the manger, the angels who saw this baby, to bow our knee, to ascribe to him the worth and worship that only he is due so that we can be sustained in the glow of Christmas. May day in and day out, your daily obedience, your daily habits be a reflection of your worship. How else do the stars and the wind praise the Lord? They do what they were designed to do. And you were designed to love God above all things, to love your neighbor as yourself, to order your life obediently to him, but not because if if you don't, you'll be punished, but because you are already loved by the sustainer of the universe. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Great and awesome, almighty God, we do honor you and lift you up. That you are the one who has all power and authority. You're the one who brings life into being. You're the one who has ordered all of nature And we discover more and more and more about you as we plunge deeper and deeper into the the world of science. Thank you. Lord, you are also the one who sustains life each and every day as a whole, but also each of us individually. And so we join with the heavenly hosts and the angels and we say glory to God. Glory to you in the highest heaven above and over all things that we would ascribe worship to. Lord God, we join with the animals and the mountains and the hills and the winds with a desire to have every day for us to live as you have made us to live, to love you well, to love others, to live as you have designed us to live. Lord God, may the, may the incredible gift of Christmas, you stepping into your creation to give a gift that could never be taken away, the gift of salvation, the gift of strength, the gift of love, the gift of provision, Lord God, may that gift of Jesus Christ move us, sustain us, and inspire us today and every day. Praise the Lord. Amen.